0: My name is Peter. Um, I am married to the uh, lovely Nina and dad to Rachel, Hannah, and Nathaniel, who are watching from home. Um, good morning. I kind of feel like I should have some witty response to that if I was, uh, um, well, I don't know. I don't want to play the Boris role in this, so maybe we'll just move on for that. Um, but good morning, everyone. Um, it is lovely to see so many of your faces. I'm going to have to try and make sure I remember to look at the camera and not at the screen. This is all very strange. Um, as I said, I've got three lovely um, young children at home who I can see right in my eye line, which is uh, wonderful. They're actually all paying attention for the first time ever on a Sunday morning at the talk. This is wonderful. <laughs> um, we actually had the uh, wonderful time this week. Of um, It was our middle child Hannah's birthday this week. She is seven years old. And we had a really nice time, actually, this week, celebrating with her. It was on a day where we were all at home, so we got to do a few fun things with her. And then yesterday, we had the unique experience of doing a party for her on Zoom. Um, This was something both me and Nina were dreading. We weren't quite sure how it was going to work out. Actually, in reality, it was rather good. We didn't have many screaming children around our house, like usual birthday parties. They were all on a screen. I even had the ability to mute them if I really wanted, although didn't need to do that, thankfully. Um, we had a really, really nice time, and it was it was nice just to stop and to celebrate with her um, being seven years old and have a bit of time together as a family. And today, we are going to be looking um, at the next passage in uh, Matthew, where there is another party going on. Um, for those who were with us last week, Pippa was talking to us about um, the time Jesus was at Matthew's house, Matthew the tax collector, and he was actually invited to be one of his followers, and there were loads of other tax collectors there, and they were having this great big meal, and last week, the Pharisees were complaining a bit, because they're saying, Jesus, why are you sitting eating with these sinners, why, why are you spending time with them, associating with these people, which we, we look down upon, and there was that challenge, a real great challenge she brought last week, actually, thinking about, are we prepared to do that, you know, if we looked around at a group of people, are we willing to associate with people that maybe others in society look down upon. And we're picking up the story this week at that same party. It's a little bit later on in the evening. By this point, probably they've had lots of food to eat. They've had um, drinks. There's a joyous atmosphere in the air. And some other people come along and challenge Jesus. Some of the disciples of John the Baptist come and ask him a question. So we're picking up in Matthew chapter 9 from verse 14. Then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often? but your disciples do not fast. Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No. They pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. See, last week, Jesus was challenged about the people he should be eating with. This week, he's challenged about whether he should be eating at all. He's challenged about this, and they're comparing like for like. John John, the Baptist's disciples come and go, well, how come you guys do this, but we have to do that? And it's something I've been reflecting on over the past few weeks, of how easy is it? for us to compare ourselves to others, whether it's others in society, whether it's other Christians, and what other churches are doing. You know How easy has it been in the last year to fall in temptation to see how others understand the rules that are put in place compared to how we interpret those rules? It's been all too easy sometimes to look at what they're doing and maybe not reflect on what am I doing. It's really easy to point the finger rather than potentially examine our own actions or intentions. As we've dived into these passages over the last few weeks in Matthew, what we've really seen is Jesus doing something very different and very new. He's not been interested in what others have done, but interested in what he wants to do. He's offended many people. The religious leaders, like the Pharisees, have been offended. Those even that wanted to follow Jesus have been offended by him. Here we see John's disciples offended by him. Sometimes when you follow Jesus, it brings offense it brings opposition but let's be careful that we don't fall into the trap of standing on the outside and criticizing rather than actually getting stuck in actually being called to be part of the party if we look back to the parable of the prodigal son that was the message jesus was getting out there he talked about her son who wandered away from the family and squandered all he had and on his return his father threw a great big party a celebration but his older brother refused to go in and take part in the party and instead looked on in scorn at what was going on. Let's not be like the older brother looking in and criticising, let's be part of the party, let's join in. And what was the big problem with fasting anyway? Well, fasting is a symbol of sorrow. It's a sign that everything isn't right. You have a party to celebrate, a feast to celebrate everything that's great you fast at a time to commiserate. It's a time to recognise and acknowledge that something isn't right, that something is wrong. You're in mourning. You're desperate to see things return to the way they should be, the way they were created to be. We look throughout the Bible examples of people fasting. King David fasted over the illness of his child that was born to him out of wedlock. Ezra fasted while mourning over the sins of his people as they returned to Jerusalem from captive. Esther fasted for the safety of her people against oppressive laws in a foreign land. David fasted for an answer to prayer, a desperate answer to prayer. And Darius, a foreign king, fasted over David's life while he was in a den of lions. Earlier on in Matthew, Jesus fasted in the the desert for 40 days. And that was part of his preparation for his ministry. But really it was a sign that The teaching and healing that he was going to bring and ultimately the sacrifice that he was going to make was needed in this broken world. Fasting is a sign that things are not right. But fasting was usually a private matter. Originally, only one day in the Jewish calendar was set aside for a public fast. That was the Day of Atonement, where people were in sorrow and affliction because it was an atonement for their sins. Over time, about 20 of these days were added onto the calendar. And by the time of Jesus, public fasting had become something of a common affair, especially amongst the Pharisees. And this was one of Jesus' real frustrations with them, because their faith had become a public display rather than the outworking of inward renewal. The Pharisees even often fasted on Mondays and Thursdays, because these were the market days. These were the days where they would have a big audience seeing their piety. But back in, Jesus, and back in Matthew 6, Jesus had already given instructions about fasting. He said in Matthew 6, and um, verses 16 to 18, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, you have, they have received their full reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus doesn't see fasting as bad, but he's not interested in people showing off. So when John's disciples come challenging Jesus about the difference between him and um, his disciples and the Pharisees, Jesus has already stated that it shouldn't be done in public. It's between them and God. As a reader of this gospel, we already know what Jesus' thoughts are. But here Jesus switches things around. He questions why the need to fast now at all? Why the need for glum faces? There's a wedding party going on. Richard Foster, in his um, book Celebration on Discipline, describes this, this part of Jesus' teaching, says, In the coming of Jesus, a new day had dawned. The kingdom of God had come among them in present power, The bridegroom was in their midst. It was a time for feasting, not fasting. And Tom Wright puts it like this. While other movements were waiting for a new day to dawn, Jesus believed the sun had risen. While John the Baptist movement and the Pharisees were lighting candles to remind them of the light of the previous day, before the present darkness, he was opening the curtains to let in the light of the day that he knew was dawning, even though they weren't aware of it. See, the people of Israel fasted ultimately because despite returning from exile hundreds of years previously, they felt like they were still in exile. The presence of God had not returned to the temple with them. They were still oppressed and under a foreign rule. They were not free. They still longed to be saved for a Messiah. Jesus here is declaring that he is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. Jesus said a new time is coming and a new time is here and it's time to celebrate. And this imagery of a wedding feast and a God as the bridegroom is something that is throughout the Old Testament. You pick it up in places like Hosea 2 or in Isaiah um, chapter 54 where it says, For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is for your Redeemer. He is called God of all the earth. Jesus here is here saying, He is that person. He is the bridegroom, come. And He is saying, Come and enjoy a feast with me. There is a celebration. That's the man we follow. He says, Come and join me at the table and enjoy this feast. It's time to celebrate. Let's bring that on. See, in Matthew, Jesus has started to reveal the nature of who He is and what He had come to do. We're slowly starting to get to see what the kingdom of God, or what Matthew calls the kingdom of heaven, looks like. Jesus has calmed storms. He'd healed lepers. He'd healed a servant. He'd healed a paralyzed man. He'd cast out demons. He's offered forgiveness and called despised people like tax collectors as his followers. And all this has drawn opposition. We even see that in John the Baptist's followers. How Jesus responds is by saying that this is a new way, the kingdom of heaven will not be constrained by the old practices and the old ways. And he uses two examples here to explain this. So for the first, I want you just to imagine for a second, I want to imagine you are back at school, and if for any reason any of the teachers at my current school that I work at are listening, I do apologize, this is not personal, and I don't think you fall in the stereotype, but we're gonna go with it anyway. I want you to imagine you're in a geography class, And I want to imagine what that geography teacher might be wearing. I'm going to suggest it might be some sort of jacket or blazer that maybe is tan in color and is probably maybe quite old and scruffy looking, particularly around the shoulders and the elbows. It's very worn. What they might do is put a patch on that piece of clothing because they want to make it look a little bit newer. And, you know, sometimes they go for the leather look, which they think is trendy. I'm not going to comment whether I agree or not that. But if they put a new piece of cloth onto that clothing and then for some reason put that jacket in the wash, when they do that, that new piece of clothing would shrink and it would tear the clothes even further and it would ruin it completely. As well, Jesus talks about this idea of wine and wineskins. See, in those days, what they would do is they would pour wine into a wineskin. It was like a kind of leather pouch where inside the grape juice would ferment. As it did this, the skin was slightly harden and become brittle. If when it was empty and all the wine was gone and you poured new wine into that wineskin, because it was already hard, through the fermenting it would burst and break. The wineskin would be destroyed and you'd ruin the wine, you'd waste the wine. This idea of old and new is also something that Paul picks up in Romans. In Romans um, chapter four, he says, "'So, my brothers and sisters, You also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. See, here Paul is saying that in Jesus, who dies to the old way, we may find new life. We may be raised again with him. The new and the old won't mix. Now, this doesn't mean the old was bad. Yesterday was good, but it's over. Today is a new day. What was good for yesterday is not good for today. Last week when people were speaking, we heard of the calling of Matthew. And it's right in the middle of all these passages about healing and Jesus doing these great miracles. And when you first read it, you might question why has Matthew included the story of himself and him being called out in amongst all these great stories and miracles and healings? See, what Matthew is really saying to us here is he has been healed. Last week, Matthew arose. He was resurrected from his old life, a life that was looked down upon, where he was continually scorned, to a new life. Jesus and the disciples are celebrating with him in his house because they are in the middle of God's new work. There is an outpouring of mercy, of grace, of joy. To follow Jesus is to find life on a new level. So my first challenge this morning, are you listening and longing for that new life. Because if you are Jesus saying, come and sit with me, you are welcome at my table. You are welcome at the wedding feast. And not only are you welcome, but you are welcome to be his bride. Come and sit down and celebrate. He wants you to experience life on a new level. And secondly, there's a challenge for all of us, as individuals, for us as a church, and in a greater sense of community and society at large. This past year has been something completely unexpected. Things don't look the way they used to. The way we work, the way we live, the way we do church, the way we interact with each other has drastically changed. Are we just going to go back to the way it was before? Are we simply longing for normal? This is something that I've really been reflecting on for a while now, and really challenged this week. I was in um, an encounter on Wednesday, and Rachel Maskell said one line to me that just stuck with me and has, um, been there ever since. She said, "Normal was broken and didn't work for too many people," and she was talking sort of about society in general, about the idea, and it's a phrase that I've seen um, a few times over the last year, mentioned saying, "Yes, we're all in the same storm, but we're not in the same boat." There is inequality all around us. Some of us have privilege and some of us do not. Some of us have probably found this year quite relaxing and easy, and others have found it particularly challenging and hard. See, I think in this moment we have an opportunity for something different, for something new. I'm going to do, I explained to Bethany what I was doing here, and she said, well, I wasn't expecting that. I want to quote an advert for you that Richard Iawadi in. And I think quite fittingly, he wears in this advert a very fitting geography teacher's jacket. And he says in the advert, why wait for normal? Let's build the new different. We are not an island. We are part of something far, far bigger. See, the history of the church has been punctuated by the bursting of old wineskins since the beginning, looking to find new containers for new wine. And really what I'll do, is just to finish, is um, I don't know how many of you watch Grand Designs. It's one of my wife's favorite programs. Um, I sometimes end up watching it because I don't always get a say on the controller in our house. And one week, a, few, a couple of months ago, I think now, we were watching um, one episode. And this couple, were going to, they were redesigning this barn that was on part of the land one of their parents owned. And it was this really grand-looking barn. And you thought, wow, that's going to make a really nice house. But actually, what they had to do for this barn is they had to strip it back. The walls had to come off. The roof had to come off. They even had to reestablish the foundations of this place. In the end, it was, had a complete new look, a new design, a new purpose. And I think we have a choice here. Are we willing to just go back to the way our life was and maybe put a fresh coat of paint on and say, that will do? Or are we willing to knock down a few walls and really see some change, really see something new. We have an opportunity because we live in that time. That's oh, right. we have an opportunity to fast at the moment because we live in that time between when Jesus came and when he returned. There's an acceptance at the moment that we, we still have not got that place where the kingdom of God has fully come on earth. We still want to see more of Jesus. We want to see God's kingdom grow. We fast because we mourn and long for that. We recognize that everything in this world isn't right, but we are also called to celebrate. This morning, you were invited to sit at the table with King Jesus. We are invited to eat and celebrate with him. And we are called, we are called to bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We are called to knock down walls and rebuild the house. Why wait for normal? Let's build a new different. We are not an island. We are part of something far, far bigger. As we move back into a time of worship, I just wanna pray for us, um, us as individuals, us as a church, us in our local communities, just that, that God can stir that in our hearts. So let's just have a moment of um, prayer. Jesus, I thank you that you came. And you were that anointed Messiah to save us. That you came and you did heal. And you called us to sit down at your table and celebrate with you. Because the wedding feast was beginning. And I pray for all of us who, who don't necessarily feel like we are welcome or not we don't deserve it, that you will, your spirit will just touch us and reveal a fresh understanding of your grace of your love of your mercy that we will we will have the courage to come and sit down at your table and eat with you and father i pray as well that we will have the boldness and the courage in this time that we are moving into to not just put a fresh coat of paint on the walls but to knock the walls down and build something new in our lives, in our communities as a church. That we won't just settle for returning to normal, but push through to see more of your kingdom emerging as the curtains open and the sun shines, to see your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.